0: Inside your hymnals, pick up the chorus, God Owns the Cattle. Uh, we sang it this morning and asked us to
1: sing it again, this service services now. God Owns the Cattle.
2: This uh, Please uh, forgive us our sins and cleanse our hearts and minds and we make uh, a message to the good ground in our hearts and minds. Um, please um, continue to protect us and provide us our needs uh, throughout this day and for the rest of the week. Uh, we pray in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In- Amen. 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 Number 465. 465. Thank mm-hmm.
0: Pampers or something like that. Not cloth diapers. No, okay. It's too real. Um, did you know that they shot down the balloon finally? They went across the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Too, late.
2: Just too
0: late. You can't trust Chinese balloons. Went all across. Did what they did. Shot it down finally because it's now over the water. Like it didn't come across the water before? Oh way. Anyway. So I'm glad to shut that down. Um, I passed by on the way yesterday to pick up something from my wife in Kailua, drove along the Pali Highway, or um, yeah, going through the Pauley. Passed by the golf course, and you know, we had a lot of rain on the winter side, and I thought for sure it was going to be golfing. Guess what I saw? Passing by the golf course, looking over here, I see these carts. Oh, everybody's golfing. Rain did not stop them from golfing. You know what I learned from that? Here's what I learned from that. Golfers are crazy. No, the lesson really is this. The big lesson is that we do what we want to do. And it was stormy, it was windy. It was just nasty. But these guys wanted to go golfing. And you know what they did? They went golfing. People do what they want to do. I'm thinking, I wonder if we Christians could have the same kind of attitude about living for Christ. Maybe we should, yes? We should? All right. Uh, Wonderful Supply. That's a good old chorus. That was back in the 70s or something like that. I remember hearing that song when I was a young Christian. It really did a lot of good for me. Sang those songs by myself in the car where no one else could hear me. And uh, those good songs just stuck in my head I like those old songs the new songs are not bad but I like the old songs that has meaning to it and they have some substance to it so those are good to hear, thank you Francis alright so the balloon just shut down Golfing on the poly and I have a statement that was put in the bulletin absence makes the heart refunders the thought and um, I don't know what you think about this but if the Lord's going to come back he's going to come back anytime soon And uh, because we haven't seen him for 2,000 years plus, not you and I, but he's been gone for that long. He said he's gonna come back. And uh, we we love him because he first loved us. Though having not seen him, we still love him. Uh, Don't you think that because of the absence of his presence, uh, literally, that we would long to see him as much as you miss someone that you love. Uh, The first time I was away from Miranda was three days. That was in North Carolina somewhere. Did we have kids then? I don't remember that, but uh, it was a long three days, and I really wanted to come back to Jacksonville where my wife was staying with her parents to see her again, and sometimes we have been separated when she goes to see her mother and everything, but uh, you know, I'm kind of a cold-hearted man. I really don't have any feelings. I'm kind of emotionless. I'm kind of neutral about a lot of things, And um, but when she was gone for three weeks, so plus man, I had to learn to do a lot of things by myself, and I missed her, and she says when she came home, did you miss me? And I said, Of course I missed you. And she says, Why did you miss me? Now, why do you have to ask that kind of question? Why did you miss me? I said, Because I had to do my own laundry and because of this, because of that. Oh, you just missed me because of the things I do for you. I said, Yeah, that's right. Why do you think I got married to you? What's you going to do for me, butlerette? And so, uh, yeah, but you know, when, when you miss someone, you kind of take them for granted, but then when they're gone, you miss them. And the, the thing I want to tell you is that the Lord's going to come back one day at the rapture. And um, if, if you're if you're trying to be a spiritual Christian and you're trying to be in the Word of God, you miss Him and you wish He'd come back sooner. Every time something bad happens, watch this. Oh, I can't wait for the Lord to come back. I know what she means. There's a lot of things we have uh, no control over. A lot of things that makes us mad, really, and uh, we wish things get fixed up. But it does, it's not going to happen, humanly speaking. When the Lord comes back, it's all going to be fixed up. Rapture to take place first, and then tribulation comes after that. And that's when things get really messed up and fixed up. And so yet yeah, we still long for it to come. And uh, John says, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Are you hoping he'll come quickly for you? Are you hoping he'll never come back? Or are you hoping he'll never come back? If you're hoping he'll never come back, or you're hoping he won't come back for another 10 years, it could be an indication that you got too many plans and you've left Him out. If you think, Lord, don't come back now, it could be because you have something else going on that's a little bit more important to you than you loving his return. Well, enough of that. I'm not preaching today. But I am saying that pretty soon we'll get the air conditioning fixed February the 8th. We hope we hope, we hope, February 9th and the 8th and 9th. And so pretty soon we last a cup win here. And then on the yeah, so looking forward to that. Alright, Mike's back on schedule today and next week's Sunday morning, the first two Sundays of the month. Mike has ten forty-five. And so, uh, take advantage of him today again. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, pray for those who are sort of sick. Uh, Nathan was sort of sick today, but um, he's not he's well enough to be in church over here. And so, pray for one another when you think about them. And then um, uh, keep praying for our country, and keep praying for your church, keep praying for one another, and uh, be blessed to somebody else as much as you can. All right. Um, Got to. This morning's lesson was about being a stumbling block offending people. I got a, a phone call not long ago. Actually, I got an email request from uh, the church website, and I responded to that and somebody wanted me to marry the daughter coming here next month, but you know out of the blue, so I, wrote, I called back the phone number, talked to the father, but uh, didn't get through to him. Talked to the daughter instead who was hoping to get married in Hawaii. And so don't know much about them. And I'm leading up to the point of, I offended her. I offended her because it turned out that I was not gonna do it under the condition that I understood. And so uh, marrying a guy who uh, said he wants to get saved but he's not saved. And after COVID, he hasn't approached the pastor of the church back there in their state. And he had no initiative, uh, says, uh, oh, we got busy, no time. Uh, going to school working no time. And so I said well, it sounds like He's not really interested in getting saved. He just didn't get married and so that offended yeah. her. I said well, I uh, don't want to be unkind to you But um, I, I could not marry someone who's not a Christian to a non-christian I said that wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be biblical And so that was offensive to her and I asked her well, you know Have your dad coming back or you can come back to you after the question never called back So I think I offended her now here's what you want to learn sometimes you want to be careful about what you say what you do because it is it is offensive unnecessarily and sometimes you say the truth and the truth itself offends people but as you say the truth don't say it in a way so that it offends people by your manners the truth itself offends the truth itself offends because a lot of people don't want the truth but a lot of people get turned off by how we say the truth personally and even publicly so be be con- conscientious about that and don't offend your weaker brother unnecessarily, but stay the truth all the time. Truth is the truth. We need to conform to the truth and not not be not be hesitant to, to, to not tell the truth when it's necessary. Um, I will say to you that probably any one of us here could be offended by what, what I say, what Mike says, or what Hugh says. Very easy. You can be offended. But you have to look at it in a certain way where if this is the truth and it's the truth. Now, if, if I say something that's in an obnoxious or cruel, unkind way, that's another thing. I should be considered about that. But I should never not tell the truth because I'm afraid it might offend somebody. Does that make any sense? It makes a lot of sense because that's how it's supposed to be. It's a dangerous thing for a church to not tell the truth because we might offend somebody because of uh, their giving status or because of... Uh, you know, we shouldn't be worried about that kind of stuff just tell the truth because we're supposed to be living for God and doing the right thing and our church is supposed to be a church that's Bible believing Bible preaching therefore we do what the Bible says as much as we can Amen. Okay, in spite of the fact we're all flawed that doesn't make an excuse for us to not tell the truth but just be careful not to be so uh, truthful and so right that nobody else could have a chance to grow into understanding what you understand you understand I don't know. pray for him, he needs help, um, pray for my, uh, it's not a prayer request I don't think, but pray for my son-in-law, he's uh, got a new job with an insurance company in Texas, uh, all commissioned, all commissioned, which is kind of scary to me, but uh, he felt led to entering that position, so that's what he's doing. My daughter's um, passing exams for being a realtor. And so she excited about that, but she's nervous. And so I pray for my daughter, Emily, and my son-in-law, Pete. And then um pray for, let's see, anything else to mention for prayer? We asked for prayer requests uh, with the guys. I don't know what the ladies do, but men never say what they have prayer requests about. Uh, but that's how men are sometimes, which is not always a good thing. We did have a good praise report of some kind. Uh, it was, uh, let's see, why don't you... Quickly, just tell us what happened to you last week. It's good news, uh, Luke.
2: Yeah, so I had my promotion for it, so now I'm eligible for promotion. Um, Whenever I need to cut off
0: for a Okay, so that's good news. Uh, the next rank you shoot for is Colonel. So that's really good for a man his age in the Army. That's awesome, all right? Okay, uh, let's stand up and then We'll shake hands and then we'll continue on and we'll have the Chinese church dismissed in just a second. All right, so let's stand, everybody. Sometimes we don't fellowship a little bit, so let's do a little bit of fellowship here.
2: We sing one more song before we have Brother Mike come. 176, 176. Break Thou the bread of life.
1: morning, continuing some character studies, looking at different individuals in the Bible and giving you some interesting details about some of these figures. Today we're going to look at somebody in the book of Esther. We're actually going to look at two people, but I'm going to focus on one of the individuals. And that is Haman in the book of Esther, chapter 3. In the Bible, there are types of Christ as you know like Abel, like Isaac, like Moses like David, like some other figures in the Old Testament, Joseph there are also types of the Antichrist like the Nimrod and, and um, Nebuchadnezzar and, and some of the um, wicked kings uh, Pharaoh, people like that in the Bible and uh, Haman actually has some interesting things about him that are similar to the Antichrist and kind of follow a pattern of some of these other types of the Antichrist. Um, so whether or not uh, these are coincidental or not, we're going to look at some things about Haman and his life and uh, so the, kind of the, the history of, of Haman, some of the uh, downfalls and negative traits of Haman. The first thing I want to say about Haman is he was politically exalted. Politically exalted. I want you to look at Esther chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It says, After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. Now I want you to understand, in the book of Esther you have Haman and you have Mordecai. These two individuals. Haman is the bad guy. Mordecai is the good guy. Haman is an enemy. You're going to see some of the um, terrible things that he does. Here he is exalted. He is exalted in a political sense. He was exalted by the king. We're going to see that he becomes the enemy of Mordecai. We're going to see why. We're going to see that he sets out to destroy not just Mordecai, but also the Jews. He's uh, anti-Semitic in that sense. And we're going to see um, what exactly happens. It's actually kind of funny if you read this, because he conspires to, to set up, he talks bad about Mordecai to the king, and he he conspires against Mordecai, and then it backfires on him. What he tries to do is he tries to, to persuade the king to get rid of Morde, Mordecai, and with uh, the advice of some other people, he actually builds these gallows for, for Mordecai to be hanged, and, and what happens is it backfires. You're going to see some things that are, it's almost like something out of a movie, some of these details. and I don't want to give you too much too soon to spoil the plot, but it's it's pretty funny what happens to Mor, um, Haman, how his plan backfires on him. Uh, but I want you to see that he was politically exalted, and you know, uh, just like the Antichrist, or how the book of Revelation calls him the beast. He is a very wicked person, yet he's going to be exalted as a ruler. Go to Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel and Revelation and some other places in the Bible, as you know, it describes about the the beast, the coming uh, Antichrist, the coming one world ruler who the Bible has different titles for him. One of his titles is the son of perdition. He's called the beast. He's called that wicked one. He's called other things, the a king of fierce countenance, and he is actually going to be a political leader. Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, talking about the beast, and it says, And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that is determined shall be done the book of Revelation talks about the beast the antichrist have, uh, describing him as this great one, uh, a ruler how all the people wonder after him that he seems to solve the world's problems at that time he comes and, and uh, is actually he has power from the devil the bible says he the 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 dragon gave power to the beast, and he does all these marvelous things. Marvelous in the sense of how people wonder and awe after him. And, and uh, he seems like he, he has all the answers to the world's problems. I would imagine there's probably going to be in the future some global crisis. And here comes this man on the scene, and he seemingly has all the answers to the world's problems. Uh, what it's going to be at that time, I'm not sure, but the Bible talks about him being this great ruler and he's, he has this political power and all of these things and so Haman uh, just like we see other types of the Antichrist in the Bible we see that he was politically exalted but go back to Esther chapter 3 and let's continue and see what happens with the story of Haman in his life I want you to see not only was he politically exalted but because of that position that he obtained He desired reverence. He desired reverence. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Now, what's going on here? What's going on here is if you back up and you look at verse 2, it says, and all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Doesn't that sound like a story in the book of Daniel? Don't you remember when they the Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego they were commanded while well, everybody was commanded to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar when they hear the music and those three they refused to bow here we have Mordecai and Mordecai he's not going to bow to Haman and he says in uh, the Bible says in um, verse 4 now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him and he hearkened not unto them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reference, then was Haman full of wrath. He was angry. He was upset. How dare these men not bow to me, these Jews? Go to chapter (coughs) 5. Go to chapter 5, verse 9. Then went Haman forth that day, joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up, nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. You know the beast, the Antichrist, is going to demand that the world worship him? The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God Revelation thirteen fifteen says that any he ca- he cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed you know if you don't somebody who is, is here in the tribulation period if they refuse to worship the beast in his image it's a capital offense he's going to demand that people be killed for not worshiping the beast Remember the Pharisees? The Pharisees, they wanted the preeminence. They wanted people to recognize them. They wanted to appear holy in, in front of everybody. and They wanted people to think that they were something special. You had the, the, the chief priests and these people during the time of Jesus' ministry. And these guys, they really thought highly of themselves. They wanted the common people to think that they were so holy. They did things just for show. Jesus said, when you pray... Don't be like the Pharisees where you go out in the street and and in a sense you blow a trumpet and you pray these loud prayers just to be seen of men so everybody thinks that you're holy and and that you're... uh, you're, Don't use vain repetition thinking that God's going to hear you because of your many prayers and people are going to think you're holy. He said, just go in your secret place where nobody can see you. And it says your Father in secret will hear you. Don't be like the Pharisees doing it for show. Don't think that you're better than everybody else. Uh, Haman, he desired reverence. Boy, he thought that he was really something. And because Mordecai refused to bow down, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say they wouldn't, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, and they wouldn't burn. It's kind of a, a sermon uh, outline there. They wouldn't, they wouldn't bend. They would, they, would not, they would not compromise. They wouldn't bow. Literally, they wouldn't bow down to the statue, and then they would not burn. Even though they were thrown in the furnace. And you know what's interesting? They they said, We will not bow down. They said, they said, God, our God will deliver us. And then in in, in some so many words, they said, And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. God's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, maybe we're mistaken. Even if he doesn't, we're still not going to compromise. We're not going to bow. Mordecai, Mordecai, he wouldn't budge. He wouldn't bow down to Haman why Haman didn't deserve his his reverence remember the the um, John bowed down and started worshiping the idol I mean the, the idol the angel <laughs> the uh, angel in the book of Revelation and they said no 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 don't don't, no, no don't do that you only worship God only worship God only worship God so because of that he became the enemy
0: of Mordecai.
1: The enemy of Mordecai. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. We just uh, read it. We'll read it again. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Go to chapter 7. Chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 6. And Esther said The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. He became Mordecai's enemy. You know, in the tribulation period, the beast becomes the enemy of God and God's people. Remember, Mordecai is on the side of righteousness. Mordecai is a good guy. The Bible says in Revelation Uh, 13 verse 6 And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God To blaspheme his name And his tabernacle And them that dwell in heaven The beast is not It's not bad enough that he Sets himself up as God And demands worship But he is The Bible talks about antichrist Antichrist Against Christ He (laughs) blasphemes The God of heaven that tells me that the beast is not an atheist. He's not an atheist. He blasphemes the God of heaven. He knows there is a God. He recognizes that there is a God. And he says, I'm better than God. In Revelation 19, verse 19, it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their enemies gather together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. You know what? That's a, a picture of the second advent. Can you believe when Jesus comes back at the second advent that the beast, the antichrist, and his armies are actually going to declare war against Jesus Christ and his armies? You would think at that point people would be begging for mercy and forgiveness. Oh my gosh, this! uh, 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 I've been deceived. He really is the king of kings. Please, God, have mercy on me. No. Their heart is so hardened that they try to fight against Jesus Christ at the second advent. That is wild. That is insane. Yet the beast is so prideful, so confident, so wicked that he goes and he does, and he convinces his followers to do the same. They say, oh, no. Here's my competition. We need to get rid of him. He's going to destroy all of the progress and all of the things that I've accomplished to bring, to usher in world peace. You know, the, if you follow these, these political leaders and the political uh, movement and things, everybody is hinting at what we need to do to solve the world's problems, to usher in this, this utopian society, this one world where we all need to get together and and accomplish world peace, and and we need to fight against climate change, and 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 all of these other things that are going on, and, and to um, bring about this this utopian society and this this one world type of system. And you see how things are rapidly progressing into that direction. And I would assume because of the the prophecy in the Bible that there is going like I said some sort of global crisis where for people to receive the beast and to accept him as, as their their leader this problem solver this super global elitist that he's going to we know that the Bible says that he's he is going to be intelligent you know the Bible says that Satan is wiser than Daniel yeah he's not stupid And the Antichrist is not going to be stupid. He's going to be evil and wicked, but he's not going to be stupid. He's going to be a mastermind. Well, he's going to be the enemy of God and he's going to be the enemy of God's people. Notice in in, uh, Esther chapter 7, verse 6. Notice these things that Esther calls Haman. There's three things. Adversary, enemy, and wicked. Adversary, enemy, and wicked. Those three things are all said of either the devil or the beast or both of them. The adversary, the Bible says, First Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Adversary, your adversary, the devil. Another one is enemy. Jesus gave a parable about the wheat and the tares, and he said... An enemy sowed the tares. The tares are the children of the wicked one. He said, The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. And then he says, Wicked. Wicked. That's one of the titles of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Calls him that wicked, that wicked one. Interesting, isn't it? These parallels. I want want you to see something else. Not only was he the enemy of Mordecai, and we know that the beast and Satan is an enemy of Jesus Christ, but he's also an enemy of Israel. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, For they had shown him the people of Mordecai, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Look at verse 9. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business, to bring it into the king's treasuries. Look at verse 13. And the letters were sent by posts into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, to take a spoil of them for a prey. Anti-Semitic. He wants to kill All the Jews. Remember we know in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Israel is God's chosen people. We know in the Bible, the Antichrist is going to be an enemy of Israel. We see in the Old Testament, there are types of this. What did Pharaoh command to do? To the babies. Remember? Israelites... They're slaves in Egypt. They're becoming too numerous, too powerful. Pharaoh says, okay, we need to prevent this. We need to start killing them. What did Herod command to do when he heard about the birth of Christ? Uh Uh-oh, we need to get rid of him. He's competition. Start killing the baby boy. Start killing him. What did Hitler desire to do around World War II? Holocaust, concentration camps. Get rid of the Jews. Anti-Semitism. We see a pattern of that through the Bible. You know, one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is because of the nation of Israel. You see the Bible when it prophesies about the nation of Israel, and uh, especially in, in um, well, actually, all through the Old Testament. But there's some specific passages where God says, uh, "Ye are therefore, you are the sons of your of Jacob." Therefore you're not consumed, not consumed, not consumed. You see the history of the nation of Israel and you see their existence throughout history. We've had all of these great empires that are gone. We have had all of these other Canaanites and Hittites and Jebusites and the, the Philistines and... and um, Amorites and all of these people, all these ancient people that were, were living at the time of the nation of Israel. And where are they today? They're gone. They don't exist. And we see that the Bible prophesied that Israel, if they obeyed God and kept his commandments, that he would protect them and He would, um, they would dwell safely in the land and they would prosper. However, he said, if you disobey me, if you start worshiping idols and, and do all these things that these other wicked nations around you do, he says, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna be carried away by your enemies. You're gonna be carried away into captivity. They're going to make your young men into slaves. They're going to abuse your women. They're going to um, eat the crops that you worked for. They're going to do all of these things. You're going to be desolate. You're going to have famine. It's you're going to so bad you're going to resort to cannibalism. You know what happened? Exactly that. And they were carried away in captivity with uh, the, the northern kingdom of, of Israel went into Assyrian captivity and then the southern southern kingdom Judah went into Bab- Babylonian captivity and they hadn't been their own independent nation since that time. 722 B.C., 606 B.C. There were different deportations all the way until, and then all of a sudden, bam, what happened in 1948? They became their own independent, sovereign nation again. After all of that time, you know Israel is only about the size of El Salvador? It's a tiny little... And did you know they're surrounded by countries that have vowed to wipe Israel off the map? They're surrounded by enemies. You have no other country that size, that small, that has survived through that period of time through that much persecution Hitler tried to exterminate them during World War II they estimated it was something like 6 million Jews that were killed uh, you know I know there's controversy about that but uh, if you look at the treatment of the nation of Israel through history and even in the Bible and you see and now look and they're still flourishing they, they've been victorious against these other enemies that have tried to invade them and uh, against all odds they have some sort of supernatural protection that no other country in the history of civilization has had if you look at all of these factors of the size and the and the different people and their enemies that try that hate them and vow to wipe them off the map you have no other country like that and we see in the bible that that is what god prophesied god prophesied that they would go through living hell for disobeying him and he would chastise them yet he would still in spite of all of that still protect them and they would not be utterly destroyed and then we see in the Bible in prophecy that he still has a plan for them in the future that's just one of the reasons why I think the Bible is a supernatural book the Antichrist in the tribulation is going to be against Israel. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, the dragon persecuted the woman. And if you read that in the context, the woman represents the nation of Israel. Not Mary, but the nation of Israel. And Satan himself wages war against Israel in the tribulation. The Antichrist is going to wage war. The Bible talks about the the abomination of desolation. He's going to stand in the temple By the way, that means the Jewish temple has to be rebuilt. It was destroyed in 70 A.D. Who would ever thought that the Jewish temple would be rebuilt when it hasn't existed since 70 A.D.? Did you know they have plans to rebuild it? In the Bible, it talks about the temple during the tribulation. It's been almost... 2,000 years that that temple hasn't existed and they have plans they are actually planning on rebuilding the temple, they have all of these uh, articles and things these artifacts, the the, the menorah and I mean it's just really really interesting when you read about this group of, of these Jews that are planning to rebuild the temple, they have things made out of gold that are worth millions of dollars that are that planning to put back in the temple when it's rebuilt. That temple has to be rebuilt before Jesus Christ comes back, because the Bible talks about the Antichrist, who's going to stand in the temple, declaring that he is God, and he's de- and he has the image. See, the Bible talks about first he's going to enter in peaceably in all of this, and he's going to deceive the nation of Israel. There's always there's going to be a remnant in the tribulation that are still following Jesus Christ and they reject the mark of the beast and all of those things. But he's going to erect an image and, and tell them to bow down and worship the image. Well, every Jew knows what's in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt what? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or bow down unto it. And here's the Antichrist, and he says, Here's an image, bow down to the image. There's like, No! Are you kidding me? That's against the Torah. He's going to turn on the nation of Israel, he's going to be empowered by Satan. Something else about Haman. prideful. Look at chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. Look at verse 11. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Look at chapter 6, verse 6. So Haman came in and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than myself? Now this gets really funny, but before we get into this, let me show you some things about prideful, prideful, how it matches some of the qualities of the devil himself. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. Boy, he thought he was really something. You know what's funny here is the king, (laughs) the king finds out that Mordecai had actually saved his life in the past. And he finds out there was a record made of it. Somebody brought the king these records, this scroll, and he reads about it. He says, man, I need to reward Mordecai for this good deed. I, I found out that Mordecai, he he um, there were these two men, enemies, that were trying to conspire against me. And Mordecai found it out, and he basically saved my life. And I need nothing ever... Um, Happened to Mordecai for this good deed. Nobody ever rewarded him. I need to reward him for this. But I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Look at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. You know he says, I will, I will, I will five different times in two verses. You ever touch somebody? And the and the word that they use the most in their conversation is I. Some people love to talk about themselves. I, I, I did this, and I did this, and one time I, and I, and I planned it, and I, 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 I. Some people love to talk about themselves. Prideful. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28, 17, talking about the devil, it says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by wisdom, by reason of thy brightness. Lift it up, lift it up. Proverbs chapter 6, it says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And it lists seven different things that God hates. And you know what the first thing on that list is? A proud look. A proud look. That's the first thing on the list of seven different things that God hates. A proud look. A proud look. You ever seen somebody that has a proud look? Somebody who's prideful, somebody who thinks highly of themselves. Pride, pride. We hear a lot about pride. White pride, black pride, gay pride, pride, pride. I saw a sticker on a card that said Samoan pride. We have June. It's called declared pride month. Pride parade, pride flag, pride, pride, pride. The Bible says, "Pride goeth before destruction; how a spirit before a fall." Pride, prideful. Now, there's a saying that says, "Proud to be an American." There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with being proud of an accomplishment. Let's say, you know, I I, I set out to lose so many pounds, and I lost weight. I'm proud of myself. That's different. There's nothing wrong with being proud of yourself in a sense that you accomplished something that you set out to do. What's wrong is to think that you're better than other people for that type of reason, okay? Proud to be an American. Um, I would say that I think the, the context of that is that you're not ashamed to be an American. You're thankful, okay? But if you think you're better than everybody else just because of where you were born, well, then that's, that's not good. You may be better off. But you're not better. See, some people say, you Christians, you think you're better than everybody else. No. But I think we're better off than everybody else. Better off spiritually. Not better, better off. See? But if you think I'm better than you because of this, that's pride. Prideful. And God says, He resisted the proud. Haman was prideful. Now, here's the funny part go back to Esther you know the Bible says let everyone esteem one another better than himself let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to think Esther chapter 6 Mordecai is going to be exalted by the king and the king starts asking Haman for advice what should we do to this person that the king wants to exalt? Haman thinks the king is referring to himself. Haman thinks yes the king wants to exalt me the king wants to magnify me and he said and here Haman Haman wants to, wants Mordecai to be killed and the king says, what shall I do for this one that, that I want to exalt? And Haman thinks, oh, he's talking about me. He wants to quote me. And here's here's, what Haman, here's how Haman responds to the king in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Referring to Mordecai, not Haman. Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to honor more than myself? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, thinking it's Haman, let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head, and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with the whom the king delighteth to honor and bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. He's saying, I, I have a great idea. Let's put him on the horse and, and put on the, the, the royal apparel, the king's robe and all of this and make him look like a king and parade him through the street and let everybody honor him and and, and make a, a grand display and, and all of this... This great great, this great parade in this. And, uh, and it backfires on him. And the king says, That's a wonderful idea. Look what he says in verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste, hurry, and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. (laughs) He dug his own grave. And it gets even better. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. You know what? Right here, it looks like Mordecai is almost a type of Jesus Christ because that's exactly what's going to happen to Jesus Christ. You know, he comes back on a white horse. He's going to come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We see something similar to, to that that Pharaoh did to Joseph in the Book of Genesis. We see something similar that uh, happened to Daniel when he's, he was able to remember and interpret. The, uh, he was able to interpret the the um, the, the writing on the wall and, and the, and the um, these visions and all of those things, and so. Now we see the same thing is happening to Mordecai. Look at verse uh, 12. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house, mourning. He's crying. He's running. He's crying. He can't believe that this happened. And having his head covered. (laughs) And he told his wife in verse 13, and he's crying and he can't believe This terrible thing that happened. And it gets better than that. Remember, he wanted Haman to be killed. And you know what he did to try to get Haman, um, uh, I'm sorry, to get Mordecai killed? He built these gallows to have him hanged. And the... uh, Esther has this banquet. If you look at chapter 7, there's this banquet, and uh, Haman goes there, and she's requesting something to the king, and she basically rats out Haman about how he wanted to kill Mordecai and the Jews, her people, and all of those things. And then uh, it says, in look at verse, verse 4. She's talking to the king, and she says, For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish, but if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue. Although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. And the king asked her, who, who is this This wants to do this? In verse 6, she says, it's this evil man, Haman. Verse 7, and the king, arising from the banquet of wine and his wrath, went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther, the queen. For he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. The king's upset. He says, you got to be kidding Haman wants to do this? And he's so upset. And now Haman says, Oh no, now now the king, not only did he not promote me like I thought he was, he promoted this enemy, Mordecai. Now my life is at stake. And he's pleading and begging for his life. And he goes and he starts pleading with to Esther, the queen. And in, in verse 8, Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the palace of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed... Whereon Esther was. He's begging, he's she has this 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 what they call it a bed, and he's he's begging and kneeling down on that thing, pleading for his wife. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? <laughs> the, basically he's saying, What is this? And I I don't know if he's really serious or he's just kind of like adding insult to injury, he's saying what are you are you gonna try to even assault the queen on her own bed right here in the palace how 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 low can you get Haman and then it says verse 9 and Harbona one of the chamberlains said before the king behold also the gallows fifty cubits high which Haman had made for Mordecai who had spoken good for the king standeth in the house of Haman then the king said, Hang him thereon. Oh, really? The king says, You mean to tell me that Haman had these gallows built so that Mordecai could be hanged and killed? Oh, fine. Don't let it go to waste. Use it for good. (laughs) Hang him on the own gallows that he built. Verse 10. So they hanged Haman. They hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. That reminds me of the book of Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 6.